Hello and welcome to the Women's Agenda podcast. My name is Angela Priestley and I'm here with Tyler Lambert. How are you, Tyler? I am well this morning, Ange. Uh, So a lot on the agenda today, a lot to discuss. It's been a big couple of days. So we have a discussion coming ahead on politics, an awesome startup in the female health space and a few other bits and pieces. It's quite an organic conversation. So Bits and bobs. (laughs) Yes. So thank you for joining us. So... A lot on the agenda today, quite a bit of politics. It has been uh, just over 24 hours since Scott Morrison delivered his emotional mea culpa speech. Well, it started as that. And it, it, uh, yeah, so it went (laughs) quickly downhill from there. Um, So we will be talking about that. What else is on the agenda, Tyler? Look, a fair bit today. Um, I actually had the pleasure of interviewing um, one of our contributors this morning, um, Kathy No wrote a really powerful piece for us this week around her reflections on being an Asian Australian and um, her experience of racism uh, in both a, a professional and, and just um, throughout her everyday life context. And she's also got some really uh, interesting and compelling takeaways around what we can do to address that. So that was a really uh, great chat other things on the agenda this week I mean obviously we've seen um some pretty big stories break with Jared Hayne Mm -hmm. um being charged for for sexual assault Mm -hmm. um and now he is facing a a very lengthy prison sentence um and and I guess um what kind of came to light throughout those uh text messages and phone Mm. conversations that were released as well. Yes, um, just quickly on that because Tyler and I spoke briefly before this and we said we, we're not sure that we wanted to make this one of our key topics today because just <laughs> for a lot of well, reasons. The last couple of weeks have just been heavy, haven't Yeah, they? it has, it has. Yeah. So um, obviously there's plenty you can read about this situation everywhere, including on Women's Agenda, but one of the things that I found quite I mean, the whole thing was disturbing, but really disturbing was in seeing some of the transcripts of conversations that he had with friends, particularly after he found out that the NRL Integrity Unit and the police were investigating Mm. what occurred, how one of his immediate responses was, I've spoken to my lawyer and... You know, I'm I'm going to be able to you know get well, her on defamation mm. for sure, mm. and it just reading that quote, I just thought like that is it just makes immediate skin crawl, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yes. It's little wonder that women don't come forward when that's the kind of attitude that that persists. And mm. um, yeah, from reading that account, you can tell that that is exactly what he would have been told by his lawyer that mm-hmm. that he can absolutely get her on defamation it would be fi- fine it won't affect his career he's untouchable and mm. typically that is what happens so um you know and i think in the context of what's going on at the moment against the backdrop of everything that's happened over the last month um it was particularly you know it was a particularly kind of yeah oh, just, just a great horrible, thing to see yeah that. yeah yeah. So say. also before we kind of get into because we, we will go to politics and we will like talk um a little bit about you know Scott Morrison's press conference yesterday, but before we get there, we do like to share a win at the front of each conversation. So Tyler, what is your win today? Well, my win kind of slots into um, Morrison's press conference from yesterday. Um, he was asked about 
what needs to happen in order to to get to a point where the culture in parliament is better. Um, and one of the things that he publicly said that he would consider is quotas. And I've never heard that from him before. He says that he has, you know, been very transparent about um, looking into that as an option with his colleagues. Um, but that's the first I've ever heard about it in a, a public for- forum. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's really encouraging. And also the fact that, you know, several um, several government ministers have come out and, and also backed that, including Karen Andrews, mm-hmm. um, who basically said yesterday she'd had a gut full of what was going on after the, the allegations um, around the man who had been sacked um, for the mm-hmm. lewd act on, on his colleague's desk. Um, and she also said, look, I, I've previously not been a supporter of quotas, um, I think for the same reason that a lot of people are, that, that apparently it derails the meritocracy, um, the meritocracy argument we don't I don't necessarily subscribe to that in fact I, I definitely don't subscribe to that um, but she said she's come to a different position on it and I think that's really exciting um, to see because I genuinely think that will make such a huge difference mm. um, you know Liberal Party is so far behind on mm. gender representation having more women in the mix there and actually being able to actively influence and change that culture inside Parliament is going to be such a key part of this entire equation. Yeah, so I'm still, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm going to piggyback a little bit off that win. I do have my own win, quite <laughs> different to that, but it is a win in the sense that we do have people now on record saying that they are open to the discussion of quotas when typically or previously they've pretty much shut that conversation down and that does include Scott Morrison it also includes our Minister for Women uh, Senator Maurice Payne and a a number of other senior Liberal women as well I noticed Greg Hunt said today that he wants to see 50% of of the coalition party room filled by women um, he wasn't ready to commit to quotas but you know he's Mm. he's at least making those comments so (laughs) that's something Um, so I guess my only hesitation is there is that it's this idea of saying, yes, I'm open to this discussion is very different to actually doing whatever happens now mm-hmm. uh, to make that happen. And we know that it's not impossible to make it happen because we've seen uh, in, in the Labor Party, but we also know that in the coalition itself that they do have a system of quotas that they just don't talk about. They have mm-hmm. a system where the Deputy Prime Minister is always um, the leader of the Nationals. So they do have a system there where... Yeah. Quotas are if happening. they want to make it happen, right, they can make it happen. happening. It's just that they haven't done it for women. Yeah. And I think, look, from Morrison's standpoint, that's a pretty easy way to manage this situation and actually show that he's doing something and feel like, and he's committed to doing something. Mm. You know, it, um, I think if he, yeah, if he is serious about it, that's a really good first step mm-hmm. to take and a, a relatively painless one. It could be a win, Scott Morrison, a win. Um, a definite win. It, it could have been something that you actually took to that press conference yesterday as a... As, um, a measure. A measure, yeah. <laughs> just any kind of shopping list um, that you weren't willing to give us. Um, so I just want to, still on the subject of quotas, I guess, in terms of win, I noticed that, so Dr Fiona Martin, um, another Liberal woman, has said that um, targets are the best option and a number of... Uh, people are pushing targets as the best option and she made this quote I didn't come to Canberra to fill a quota 
Now, this is another one of those quotes that really just grated on me as well because I just hate that suggestion that anyone who is filled in any kind of quota situation is there to fill a quota because there are plenty of people, like I've just said, who are in situations where they are filling a quota and mm. I am going to just point to the example of the Deputy Prime Minister here. Mm. He is filling a quota right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Um, and if he can fill a quota then anybody can (laughs) fill a quota yeah I mean I'm I'm just I mean I I don't this is what I mean I don't want to detract from um, anything of the good people who do go out there and fill quotas I'm the deputy prime minister yeah aside Um, so but I wanted to note um, Sam Austin who is a prominent board director she is an just incredible leader she has written passionately about just so many wonderful things, intellectual things about leadership and about how organisations should run. She's really up there when it comes to looking at climate and diversity and sustainability and all the great things that we want to have good leaders examining. And she has been very open about the fact that, you know, one of her most prominent positions came via the um, AFL Commission back in 2005 in which she was a quota appointment. And she has spoken openly about that and said that, you know, why almost I think that that's just a great example to show why this can make a fundamental difference because that's what she was able to do there and you see where her career's gone since and mm-hmm. you could never say that she was not deserving of that position because mm-hmm. she absolutely was. Yeah. Yeah. So a win. Amen. Another little win. <laughs> since we're on the topic, very different topic actually. But um, I wanted to just share a few things about um, women-led businesses, particularly women-led businesses in the in the health space, which uh, I feel like are finally getting a lot more attention and a lot more funding than they the, – the funding and the attention rather that they should have had all along. You know, we're seeing that investors are really focusing on the women's health space and they are winning as a result, I would say. So – I want to talk about a couple of well, one particular sp- startup in that space, which is Kin, which we have written about previously on the founder when it originally launched, I think last year, and it is a prescription service for the pill. And I just think, like, what a wonderful thing! Why didn't this exist before? I've actually gone through the process of ordering my um, of ordering the pill through Kin. Um, it was seamless and easy and. Um, of course, you need the prescription and you need to actually, you know, communicate with one of their doctors. They make that as easy as possible. But one of those things of like a, just a pain point for women, particularly busy working women as well, just to make it happen mm-hmm. easily. Well, especially when it's something that you need to take, you know, ongoing, um, like like the pill, you know, it's it's not always easy to just have appointments with doctors and make time for that so yeah anything that can be done to make those um situations easier is is always a win okay good wins <laughs> so uh, now back to that press conference yesterday okay so like i said this we're recording this about 24 hours since uh, scott morrison delivered uh what actually started out to be i thought a good speech on how he's been listening to women tyler and i may disagree here <laughs> and got teary <laughs> i did Well done. Um, So a lot of people will have been rolling their eyes at him, especially as you described his daughter and his wife as the centre of his life and saying he makes no apologies for putting them up right and centre when he talks about these issues. Um, He said he had heard that women feel talked over and overlooked, that women don't feel safe, that women feel marginalised, belittled, intimidated, dismissed, objectified. 
um, he'd been hearing these things. Mm. I found this, like, there's one piece here. I just think Scott Morrison has done some of those things himself. <laughs> <laughs> like like yeah. that classic um, that classic man interruption yeah. situation. Um, was it Anne Rushton? With Anne Rushton, yeah. Where he just totally talked over the top of her as Anne Rushton had been asked <laughs> a, a question from a journalist um, to say, I can't remember, something like, do you feel supported as a, or heard? Yeah, as can a, I ask for your perspective as a woman in Parliament? <laughs> to which Scott Morrison interjected very ferociously. <laughs> uh, anyway, you'll find that we clip digress. on women's agenda. <laughs> anyway, leaving that aside. So he gave that speech. Um, yeah, it was emotional. It, you know. He teared up. He delivered it well. Whoever wrote that speech, I thought, did an okay job. Then he took questions from journalists. It, it started well. So it started well. And then he was derailed yeah. by himself. Yeah. He was derailed by <laughs> Yeah. Credit also to Scott Morrison that he talked about the weather yesterday. Oh, yes. He talked about, you know, obviously the flooding situation that is occurring in New South Wales at the moment. Um, he gave safety warnings. He talked about the situation I just haven't really seen him do that uh, level of discussion about the weather previously. It didn't really happen during the bushfire crisis. No, well, he um, wasn't there. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah. Needs to be in the country usually. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't <laughs> help but notice that. Um, I think I saw some people notice on Twitter as well that he was giving more to that situation that was occurring in New South Wales than he ever gave to the situation around um, the COVID, the um, second, third wave of COVID that broke out in mm. Victoria. So, mm. yeah. Okay, leaving that aside. So it went it, – it just turned to an absolute disaster as journalists asked questions and this is, I think, the massive issue with Scott Morrison in this position to watch him as he felt that he was up against the ropes to see the tactics and the language and the body language and the places that he went he to went defend script, himself. He went off script, didn't he? Yeah, yeah so as soon as he was off script – and it just – Again, to see him tearing up during that speech and then minutes later to be making some of the comments that he did to those journalists I thought was just atrocious. So comments that he, he – the absolute refusal, first of all, to take any kind of you – know, really he was really trying to avoid any kind of personal responsibility mm-hmm. for what was going on. Yeah, There um, was a lot of mention of acknowledging situations acknowledging. but not yeah. actually apologising yeah. for situations. There, there was the acknowledging of the fact that he'd made those comments after the Women's March for Justice where he said that, you know, basically that we should be grateful that protesters were not met with bullets. So he said, well, yeah, I acknowledge that those words may have caused offence. He never apologised for it. Mm. It's a very deliberate tactic. Well, so then, you know, you get to the questions from journalists and I kind of move away from it being a deliberate tactic because I just think that, I mean, I'm sure he would regret a lot of the things that occurred and that he said during that press conference. He's even issued an apology for one particular incident that occurred in that press conference, but um, which I'll go into, which is where basically um, a Sky News journalist, Andrew Clonell, actually put his hand up and asked the Prime Minister to put himself in the position of a CEO of a large organisation and he kind of put it to the Prime Minister that, well, your job would would be on the line, right, if this was a big business. And 
the way Scott Morrison responded to that was to note this journalist and say that this journalist would be aware of a situation that is occurring in his own organisation involving a harassment complaint that has gone to an HR department. Mm. The journalist responds, no, I don't know anything about this. Um, that media organisation has since come out and said, we don't know anything about this. The parent company News Corp has said we don't know anything about this. But the fact that essentially Scott Morrison, first of all, you know, he but outed. Outed some, yeah, yeah. It, whatever the situation, outed that person. The fact that he um But he gave specific details it. as well. Yeah. You know, he was talking about how it was a, in a, bathroom, a young yeah. woman who was, yeah, mm. allegedly harassed in a bathroom. Um, so, yeah, it, it's incredibly problematic. And his comment that he said, you're free to make those criticisms and to stand on a pedestal, but be careful. That's what he told journalists mm. and I have a real it's issue a with it's that idea of telling people to be careful because I think it just it just says you cannot say you cannot walk past and witness behavior that you seem inappropriate and bring it up and try to raise it because somewhere along the line you might be implicated impl- somewhere yeah. maybe they employ you maybe you know someone who's involved whatever it is you need to be careful because no way can you actually no way is everybody 100% clean of everything and it's just it came across as such a threat and it was such a Trumpian tactic mm. as well, mm. like just to attack the media like that. I know it's not the first time this kind of thing has happened and, you know, really I don't think Scott Morrison chose his target particularly well there because it was a News Corp journalist and <laughs> one thing I have noticed is how quick Scott Morrison was to apologise mm. over this, which he did late last night on his Facebook mm. page saying that he he should not have made that comment. We don't get apologies out of the Prime Minister very often, mm. so it was, uh, it was an interesting one. Mm. But yes, no, that was a bit of a debacle really and um, and I think it does point to, you know, Morrison might be good at delivering speeches. Um, maybe he even feels and thinks some of the things that he is saying. Um, but I do think that as a leader he does have this predisposition to jump on the defence and to be incredibly stubborn and un- unyielding. And mm. if you're like that, you can't reflect on what is is in front of you and what you know what your own responsibility is, and just be accountable because you're always looking to to kind of embroil someone else or have someone else have the blame shifted elsewhere. Yeah. Um. And yeah. I think that was that it was exactly what that that example pointed to. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think that's why, and Tal and I were messaging each other during the speech yesterday, it's why I was so taken by the first part of his speech because I thought, wow, like walls are breaking down here. He's getting emotional about this, you know, whether or not it's an act, whatever, but he's making the point. He's saying that he's listening, all this Mm -hmm. thing. I thought now comes the piece where he lists all these awesome announcements that he's about to make all these various measures, these things that he will be doing to say that I'm taking this seriously and, and look, this is what we're going to do now. He didn't offer that. Mm-mm. But worse was obviously where he took this conversation afterwards as well. Yeah, yeah. He kind of undid all the good work that he had done. Um, and so I'm hoping that he will redo it and, and get back to a good place with everyone. Yes, we will see. Okay. <laughs> well, we might cross to our uh, so, as I said, it was an interview with Kathy No, and um, Kathy is a presenter, she's a writer, she's a speaker, she's also the founder of Keynote Worthy, um, and that connects event organisers with diverse speakers. She's very vocal on this topic 
of intersectional um, women and, um, you know, the, the impact of racism in Australia and beyond. And I think she was particularly motivated and um, in a really awful way mm. um, by the massacre that took place in America in Atlanta um, mm. earlier in the week and where, you know, eight, eight people, including six women, yep. um, six Asian women yep. were killed. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, I've had this conversation with her and she goes into a little bit about um, what she was talking about and some of the – how she she's kind of straddling that space where she does feel incredibly dejected but she also feels optimistic because she can see that we can do better. Mm-hmm. Um, so here you go. We'll go to that interview now. The massacre that occurred in Atlanta last week in which eight people were murdered, including six Asian women, sent shockwaves around the world. And when the police officers in charge described the killer's actions in a pretty flippant way by saying he was having a really bad day, thousands of people globally reacted angrily, especially anyone who's ever experienced racism and understands the very real threat that poses. While that incident occurred in America, Australia is definitely not immune to this kind of racially motivated acts of violence. I'm joined by Kathy No, who's a presenter, writer and speaker, as well as the founder of Keynoteworthy, um, a platform that connects event organisers with diverse speakers. Um, and Kathy, you penned a really courageous piece for us this week and it, it struck a chord with many of our readers. Um, for anyone who hasn't had a chance to read it yet, the article explored and reflected on Kathy's own experiences of racism and bias as an Asian Australian woman and the way she's had to navigate this throughout her life and career. Um, so, Kathy, what drove you to write this piece this week? I was just feeling exhausted. I was really over it. So, um, writing is like therapy for me. So, I just yeah. thought, you know, I just got to let this out. And um, yeah, I mean, the piece was, it wasn't difficult to write because it was just raw. It was really. Um, it was actually really angry at first and then I, I had to tone it down a little bit. <laughs> but, yeah, like I, I, it was just, yeah, fueled by anger but also optimism because I know that we can do better. Mm. Uh, it's just, um, yeah, and I, I know that a lot of people are feeling this way as well and perhaps they are not courageous enough or brave enough to share their story or yeah. perhaps um, didn't even realise that they you know, um, we're experiencing racism themselves because there's a lot of microaggressions that happen in our workplaces and, yeah, and even out in public as well. Yeah. You spoke a little bit about those kind of um, examples of microaggressions. Uh, Throughout your life and career, what has that looked like for you? And, um, And I guess what has your response been historically to those kind of uh, attitudes and, and situations? Yeah, so a microaggression as an example could be, let's just say uh, there's a stereotype that Asians are really good at maths. So um, what else is there? Just comments mm. like, oh, I've had comments like um, I'm, I'm aggressive because I ask questions. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, so it, traditionally I used to think, oh, okay, I, I didn't think anything of it because I mean, I'm born in Australia, so I, I didn't really think that, um, you know, those comments were racially motivated. But mm-hmm. I think now that I'm in my mid-30s and I, as I reflect back, it's 
it's because of racism. So, um, yeah, before, I mean, if it sounded like a bit of a positive comment, like being good at maths, then, um, you know, I would just mm. laugh at it, you know, one of those nervous laughs um, yeah. or, or take it as a compliment. Or if yeah. I, um, you know, I, I remember, yeah, back in the days, um, some of my colleagues would say, oh, yeah, I love Asian women and all of that. And I really thought nothing of it at that time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, you know, just um, take it as a compliment, you know, mm. to be grateful. Um, you know, I've always uh, grown up being taught to, to be grateful um, but no, it's it's not. It's rooted in misogyny. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You actually, I mean, you mentioned that in that piece that you know that um, a, a colleague in your early career kind of picked you up and swung you around the pub, pub and shouted that he loved Asian women. Um, was he a superior to you? Yeah, he was like the director of finance. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. It's so bad. Um, yeah. And do you think that? I mean, a lot of women are put against um, in putting uncomfortable situations like that um, by men who have wield power um, and there's a, a power imbalance at play as well as, as the racism. Yeah, definitely a, a power imbalance. I, um, yeah, especially like, well, I can talk from my experience as an Asian woman. Um, there's the, the thought that Asian women are quite you know, petite, um, have family values, really quiet, submissive. So I don't know, I, I, I just felt like an easy target. And mm. what made it worse is that I, I kind of froze and I just, again, that nervous laugh that I, I did at the time. So I, mm. I, I did not know how to react in that situation. Mm. And do you feel like leaders, um, particularly in government but across organisations and business as well, are doing enough to stamp this kind of culture out? No, I don't think they are doing enough because, I mean, racism has existed for a very long time in Australia. Like, I mean, this is stolen land. Um, but I, if I can talk from experiences um, being an Asian, I mean, it started even before the gold rush. Mm. So, I mean, even since then, it's just come in different forms. So, yes, the government should do more. I mean, the government has done a lot in terms of family and domestic violence, the child abuse and all of that. So racism should be treated, you know, stamping racism should be treated on that same level as well. Yeah, yeah. And look, now to the the optimism side of this equation, because in your piece you do, um, I mean, aside from kind of lament the situation and, um, you know, where we're at at the moment, you also talk about some very clear, um, I guess, things, measures that we can implement to to kind of do better and to get to a, a more equal um, playing, playing field. Yeah, so, I mean, there's lots that organisations can do. It's, it's really funny. Well, it's not really funny. It's never funny. Racism is never funny. But uh, over the weekend, we celebrated Harmony Day. So in Australia, we call it Harmony Day, but it's actually not about Harmony Day. It's about stamping out racism. But mm-hmm. Harmony Day sounds a lot more, I guess, marketable and palatable. Mm-hmm. But um, organisations firstly need to have those uncomfortable conversations and there's an art to it. Um, so if leaders 
or um, yeah, organization organization, sorry, are unsure about having those conversations, uh, get a consultant or someone to help uh, frame those mm. conversations because it can, you know, it can either go two ways, um, really bad or really good. So, mm. um, so yeah, have those conversations, and you know, it's it's okay to admit that you don't know everything, and especially privilege. Like it's okay to admit that, hey, you know, I'm a white guy, I've got a lot of privileges and there's a lot of things that I don't know, but now I'm yeah. making a conscious uh, effort to understand um, cultures more, uh, to enable inclusion in our company, you know, along the lines of that. So, um, but leaders do need to acknowledge that racism does exist and mm-hmm. if they don't see racism, well, then um, they've won the lottery in life because they're lucky they don't experience it themselves. And there's lots of people in this world that experience it every day. So, yeah, yeah so that's firstly, yeah, acknowledge that it happens and have those conversations at work. But you can still celebrate as well, like celebrate uh, our differences, um, differences in perspectives, um, because that's that's what makes Australia great, right? Um, like it's migration and, and multiculturalism that makes Australia great. But I feel that everything that's happened in the last, well, in the last couple of months, even like even with Black Lives Matters, we have gone backwards. Yeah. You also talked about you know checking in with your Asian colleagues and friends or people of of different um, you know ethnic heritage. Um, to check that they're they're feeling okay at the moment, especially off the back of that, you know, that tragedy in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yes. Um, yeah. Check in with your uh, colleagues, but I I wouldn't just uh, check in with Asian colleagues. I would check in with BIPOC colleagues as well, so Black Indigenous people of color, because mm-hmm. these the recent incidents would, they, they can relate to it and I'm sure that they will be feeling quite emotionally drained as well and triggered from the situation. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would recommend checking in on all of them. Um, but in saying that, um, I just want to make it clear that it's not up to people of colour to educate allies and um, mm-hmm. uh, Caucasian uh, Anglo-Saxon people about racism. It's up to them to do the work. I think check when I say checking in it's more about listening and more about support rather than you know putting the onus on them so that's what I would recommend yeah well look thank you so much for um joining us today and having this chat and also for penning such a a brave piece you know so many of our readers really um responded to it and and um shared similar experiences to your own so so I really appreciate that Thank you so much, Tala. Thanks for the opportunity to share. Yeah, thanks again to Kathy for making time for that interview this morning. Um, I just found that piece, you know, so powerful and her account so powerful. Um, and I think as a, a woman that is of, you know, cross-cultural heritage as well, um, it really rang true a lot of what she was talking about there and um, and how we can check in with people and make sure that they're going okay Mm. um without putting the onus on them to to find the solutions um and also you know the the work that organizations and government need to do here to make sure that we can actually stamp out racism um it's going to take a lot of work um 
but we are capable of it. Yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah, please go and read that piece. Um, you can also find Kathy, particularly on LinkedIn. She's prolific on LinkedIn and that's how I think well, that's how Tyler and I have previously connected with her. So go and find her there. Um, and that is it for us for another week. Thank you so much, Tala. Thanks. All in um, always, you know, about half an hour. Always so. a pleasure. Whew, a lot to get through. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you for listening to the Women's Agenda podcast. Um, Once again, you can subscribe to our daily newsletter. Go to womensagenda.com.au forward slash subscribe. And pretty much everything that we talk about in this podcast, you will find in some form um, on our website if you go and just search for it there. Uh, Thank you again to Kathy for joining us. And also just a reminder that we do have a second podcast, The Leadership Lessons, hosted by Kate Mills which has just entered season three. Go and check it out. Thank you.